lives Let's travel the world together She can make it easy and in any kind of weather No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel-good sounds Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt Betty and the Jets Oh, she's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh Betty and the Jets Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about pillbox hats, problem passengers, celebrities, elephant dung, mules, and whales. Let's get on with the show. A friend of mine's partner works at the information counter at the airport that I commute in and out of. And you know, we as flight attendants see the passengers in the air, the gate agents see them before they get on the plane, but you would think that most passengers would just be in a hurry to scurry and leave the airport. So you would think that you wouldn't have as many stories about people leaving the airport, but uh, nope. He said his partner. So this lady comes down the escalator. She's in her 60s and she proceeds to strip down to her bra and panties. A lady in her 60s stripped down to her bra and panties and proceeded to rub pure L all over her body. <laughs> okay. So we were flying, this post 9-11, we're flying from JFK to London. And right before takeoff, after being in line for a long time, flight attendants called and said, we have a young couple in business who we think don't belong up there. So I said, well, can we wait till after takeoff? Right. Because otherwise we're gonna have to refuel and all this. They said, yeah, yeah. So we get airborne, we find out they're not supposed to be there. Right. So they move them back to coach. Well, this starts. Stowaways. Yes. <laughs> well, they're not stowaways. They're on the yeah. airplane. Right. They're just but in the wrong seats. Up. Yeah. So they go back to their seats. But this starts them insulting the flight attendants and just being a total pain in the ass. So this keeps escalating until the captain is on his break. He's on the MD-11. And at the end of his break, they come and get the captain and say, hey, you, you mind talking to these people? Because it keeps escalating. So he's not happy. So he goes back there. She's at the window. He's on the aisle. He looks at the guy and he goes, I want you to listen to me. And she starts to say something. He goes, shut up. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. Here's the deal. I've had enough with both of you people. Right over there is Greenland. Trust me, Greenland's not green. So if I hear one more, if I get one more call about either one of you, I'm in, I'm inconveniencing this entire crew, and we are going to Greenland. I'm throwing your asses off my plane. I don't care what happens to you after that. 
Well, that kind of got their attention, so they settled down. Well, when he they got, didn't want to go to Greenland. No. When he got back to the cockpit, he was so mad, his hands were shaking. So I looked at him and I said, you know, Bob, this is post 9-11. You know, causing a disturbance in the cabin can be a problem. I said, I know England takes security very seriously. If you'd like, I can send a message letting them know that they need to take a good look at this couple. He smiled and he goes, let's do that. <laughs> so I typed this thing up, ACAR's message, I send it off. We get there, same thing, tell everybody to stay seated. Here come the cops, they take these couple off. Once again, the whole back of the airplane erupts in applause. Off they go. Next day, now I can't do a British accent, but the station manager was a woman. And imagine the rest of this in a very proper right. English accent. She came to the cockpit and she said to Bob, I thought you might like to know what happened with your problem passengers. He said, yeah, I would. She goes, well, first they were taken to two separate rooms where they were interrogated for 30 minutes each. Then they were strip searched. Then they were strip searched. Then full body cavity searched. Wow. Then I escorted them out to the ramp where their luggage was laying on the tarmac with every piece laying out on the tarmac so the dogs could fully inspect. And then I stood there while they repacked their luggage. Then I escorted them through Immigrations and Customs out to the front of the airport where I... Bob looked at me and goes, what did you write? Because he's like, well done. Yeah. I haven't had this happen in a long time. Uh, the fire alarm went off. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I was already asleep, and I hear sirens, smells. Like, I'm thinking it's not a false alarm. My room kind of smelled like marijuana, and I'm thinking, man, somebody was smoking around here and lit something on fire, and now we got the fire alarm going. I'm in my pajamas. I'm barefoot, and I'm thinking, I don't want to go. The rule is, in general, with the airline, if you get a fire alarm, you go out and go out of the hotel and wait around out front. Well, it's late. I got my pajamas on. I'm like, smells like marijuana. And I'm thinking, if you people lit your room on fire smoking marijuana, you're harsh in my mellow, which is just sleeping. <laughs> so I'm, I'm contemplating. I thought, okay, I'll put my shoes on. So in case I see flames, you know, I got to get out. But then I'm, I'm on the second story and I go out on my balcony and I'm like, huh. I think I can shimmy down to that, like railing down there. And then I think I can shimmy down from there. So I think I'm just going to hang out, <laughs> wait and see if there's flames anywhere. Like 15, 15 minutes of the fire alarm, it finally went out. I asked the next day, and they said somebody had caught the microwave on fire. So, glad I stuck around. Touch me, feels too real. Now we're good. Okay, did you have somebody yeah, famous? I was coming up from St. Martin. Okay. And all of a sudden, I said to the one girl, she said, Oh, would you work up front? I don't want to work up front. It's okay. So I worked. And I turned around at one point and I said, I came this close to saying, you know, you really look like John F. Kennedy Jr. 
and then it dawned on me. I was like, holy cow. It was. He was in this gauze shirt, open all the way down here, really clinging to him. I was like, oh. So Was he as handsome as he? Oh, beautiful. 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 And he was sitting in one jazz. So remember what seat was in the first row of forty-seven. So I felt bad. I thought, oh, well, she didn't know he was going to be up here. I'm going to go back and offer to swap with her. Oh, yeah. she, so she said, oh, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. But give me his autograph. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I went up. And um, later I said to him, I said, you know something? I needed you on my flight today. I said, I've been working through your whole family. But I said, I haven't had your mom on yet. He goes, we'll do the flight tomorrow. She's coming up tomorrow. Really? And I thought, oh, geez, if it were only that easy to pick up a flight from St. Martin. And uh, I said, oh, congratulations on finally passing the bar. And oh, you I, did? I did. But I said to him, I said, there's a girl in the back. She was supposed to be working up here, and she really wants your autograph. Do you think I could get it? He said, yeah, sure. And he gave it. I said, where you at? I said, I'd love to have your autograph, too. So he gave me one. And that was it. It was very nice. Matter of fact, when I had Caroline on, she's very quiet. But she was very nice. And I, what kept going through my head was Jackie did a great job with those kids because both of them very, you know, they had manners, they were very, very aware of people, and so nice. Lovely me. people. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I've been flying Maui, and I love Maui. I love Hawaii. I just like the air there. It's just, you just want to go, <sighs> it just makes everything relax. It's so nice. And uh, sometimes you forget that a lot of other people haven't been as many places as you have. I mean, it's just, of course they haven't. I, I work for the airline. So in Hawaii, they have uh, taro root bread, and it's like a bluish purple. It's delicious. And like we serve it in first class. I've seen it many years. I always like it. To me, it's a treat. And we're leaving Maui, arriving on the mainland, and we serve a breakfast, and it's one of these Hawaiian rolls. It's like bluish purple on the inside and uh, with an egg and cheese. It's actually very nice and good. And uh, it's just like wrapped in foil. So this woman stops me and she goes, look at this. And I said, what? She goes, look at it. Uh, and I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking maybe she thought that the the cheese was too melted, maybe a little crispy. And I said, do you want another one? It, And she's like, Okay. And so I didn't realize until two other passengers, all of whom I guess have never seen this color bread, thought it was bad because this lady goes, this sandwich is scary. And I said, why is it scary? Because it's actually one of the better things that we serve. <laughs> and she goes, the color, it looks like it's moldy. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. I think the other lady was saying that her sandwich was moldy, but because it didn't seem unusual, the color to me, I didn't know what she kept saying. Look at it. Look at it. I'm thinking, I'm looking at it. It looks fine. Rams jams that give you so my buddy Frank was flying in the MD-88. Okay. Coming from New York back to Atlanta. Yeah. And Washington Center, it was at like almost midnight. It was in the middle of the night. And people kept asking for direct. 
and the Washington Center controller just kept saying, unable, unable. So finally, Frank and his captain asked for a direct, and they go, unable. And the captain gets on the, on the radio and goes, hey, Washington, I'm curious. Are we up here because you're down there? Or are you down there because we're up here? <laughs> I like it. That was a good one. A few podcasts ago, I was telling that great story about being in on safari in Tanzania. And I went out. I was supposed to do a walking safari. It ended up being this crazy, flamboyant, half-naked bushman who wanted me to smoke elephant poop. Now, there's a sentence you don't say very often. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been talking to other flight attendants about this story, and they're like, you should have done it. And I'm like, well, you know, I was concerned about the drug testing. And they're like, they don't test for elephant poop. But the thing is, you don't know what the elephant's been eating or how long it stays in your system. And so then the story changes in that people keep saying, you know, if you did get fired for smoking elephant poop, it would be a fantastic story. <laughs> You'd be like infamous. What happened to Betty? Oh, she didn't you hear? She got fired for, get this, smoking elephant poop. I had a two-day Johannesburg, South Africa layover. Woohoo! And um, I went with one flight attendant and two pilots to about two hours away. And we got to go to this place where you can walk with the lions. I'm sorry, did you hear me? You get to walk with lions. It was great. Now, granted, it's not my usual thing because I'm all about, you know, everything in the wild. And this isn't, they are not necessarily in the wild. I mean, it's a, it's a preserve, but still, you know, we got to pet a cheetah and the, and the cheetah purred. It purred. But granted, like I said, this is not really in the wild. But at this place, they're doing important scientific work. They did the first lion created by IVF, and they're they're storing semen and things for, um, you know, in case they don't want anything to go extinct. So, but anyway, on the drive, I was telling the crew members all about my crazy bushman in Tanzania that wanted me to smoke elephant dung and I didn't do it and I kind of regretted it but I was worried about the drug testing and they were like well you know they have these people fly this uh, trip a lot and they're like they have elephant dung gin at the bar at the hotel and I was like what <laughs> they have elephant dung gin <laughs> I think I'll have to try that. So after our walk with the lions adventure, I went back to the bar after I went swimming, and um, they have this gin. And Grant, get this, there was the, the girl at the bar's name was Betty. <laughs> Betty was telling me, yes, they have this elephant dung gin. It's I-B-H-U. I don't know how you say that. Ibhu? Anyway, it's gin made from elephant foraged botanicals. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was really good. So then I researched it online, and here's a little, um, I guess, advertisement. I don't know. It's uh, this is what I, I found this video about this gin, and here it goes. At six o'clock in the morning, I get an elbow in my back, and, and Paula says, uh, "Les, I've got an idea. Do you think we can make elephant dung gin?" We weren't quite sure who we were going to approach with this crazy idea, and who would take us seriously. We're just collecting dung for our gym. <laughs> yes, we've just been uh, we've been looking at where the alleys are because we need fresh dung. 
where the Elias were, there were also lions, and so we've just been watching them carefully. <laughs> it, it smells of the bushveld, actually. It smells of grass and, and leaves. It's lovely, it's very botanical. So we collected about just over three of these size bags. This will be, well, we hope about 4,000 bottles, 6,000 bottles. It's what we'll hopefully get out of this. The whole process is just by my wife and myself. We, from collecting the dung all the way through to bottling the product. This is a lifestyle business. We enjoy it and we want to keep enjoying it. As part of it, we donate 50% of our profits to Africa Foundation. So we want to get back into the wildlife arena. And that's how we've distinguished ourselves. So when we look at a project like the Inglovogen, we're looking at probably one of the most sensitive creatures on the planet, hand-picking his own diet, the elephant. And their nose is so sensitive, they gentle giants, they gently go through the landscape, pulling out what's palatable to them and using their nose to find that. Elephants only digest 30% of what they eat. They choose the most amazing foods, and the aloes, and the buku, and the, the feinbos, and they eat all these. They're drawing on acacias, which are aromatic. They're drawing on ericas. They're drawing on aromatic grasses, the cyberpongans, and others. So what they're doing is hand-selecting for us. And then we are able to collect, dry and sanitize the material. We do frequent tests on the product. Our product is proven in the laboratory to be completely harmless in the sense of foreign matter or toxicity or anything like that. It's safer to drink than bottled water. It gives us a balanced product which is interesting, it's aromatic. It's got a deep flavor, earthy smoky spicy it gives a beautiful tan color the color of dried botanicals in nature it, it brings like a new known hay or grassy edge to the gin while i was looking for the video on the elephant dung gin i found another video that i'm not going to make you listen to this one but <laughs> they also have very expensive coffee that's from elephant dung so they feed the elephants coffee and then what they poop out they sell and it's very expensive and it's like alrighty then as a little warning this next story is ever so slightly dirty it involves a male body part so if you're sensitive go ahead and fast forward about a minute and a half so we had this pilot named mule Mule. Mule. All right. And I have no idea why he was named Mule. And I won't say his last name. Yeah, Because I think good. he's yeah. still alive. But Mule was flying with a co-pilot and an engineer on 727. The co-pilot tells the engineer, he goes, hey, you know why they call him Mule? He goes, no. He's got the biggest dick you've ever seen. It's like a mule dick. It is like the eighth wonder of the world. Wow. And, and the, the engineer goes, yeah, whatever. He goes, no, no, I'm telling you. You will tell your grandchildren oh, about wow. this dick. So you, the next time you see him going to the bathroom, you need to tell, you go. And stand in the next, stall next to him, you won't be able to miss it. I mean, it's huge. The engineer kept putting him off, and he kept pushing him, pushing him. Meanwhile, he's telling Mule, 
you know anything about the engineer? Do you think he might be gay? He goes, oh, I don't think he's gay. So finally, he convinces the engineer to follow Mule into the bathroom. And Mule's in there at the urinal, and he's peeing, and he doesn't have a mule dick. <laughs> but the engineer's looking, <laughs> and Mule's trying to turn away. Cause <laughs> There's no ad this month, yay for you, ad-free, but if you want to support the show, if you want to be so generous, you can just go to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, click on any of the Amazon ads, I'll get a little tiny percentage of what you buy, but it doesn't cost you any more, and it supports the show, and I like to see what people buy every month. This month, somebody bought the Graveyard Book, and then, get this, Duncan Hines' Dolly Parton's buttercream frosting. I didn't know Dolly Parton was in the frosting business. And guess what? I searched, but you cannot buy the elephant dung gin on Amazon. Go figure. <laughs> so if you want to support the show, go to my website. You have to make sure your um, ad blocker isn't on and then click through. doesn't cost you anymore. And I thank you so very much. First class, we hand out noise-canceling headsets, and when we hand them out, basically so you know they're clean, they have a cardboard overwrap that's kind of square. Now, I'm working first class, I'm in the aisle, and I just had to laugh, and I didn't know if I should tell the lady, but she did not take the cardboard off, and she went ahead and put the headset on. It's one of, it's a over-the-head headset, so you have like a plastic strap and then you have the two cans on the ears and then she has that square cardboard over wrap like slightly off center like a pillbox hat like a pillbox headset and I had to go tell the other girl I'm like you have to go look at the lady and she came back she's like oh my god it looks just like a pillbox hat and it's like do you tell her like uh you know, you don't want to make someone feel stupid. So I just let her wear it like that. And I genuinely smiled every time I had any interaction with her. She slept with her pillbox headset. It just tickled me. Take me up. Lay me on. So, uh, we were going from Detroit to Baltimore. And then I was told that uh, Jimmy Carter and Ross oh, were yeah, coming yeah. On, on my flight. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, first, you know, we get all the Secret Service guys come on. And they both had defibrillators. I mean, all their luggage. They took up all of the bin space in first class, right? And then, of course, it's them and, you know, like, four, four or so um, Secret Service sitting in first class with them, plus some in the back. And uh, so, but the passengers were, were great. Yeah. Because, you know, they come on, they all had to, all the first they class passengers, they, they had to put their, their bags behind, and yeah. everybody put their bags behind, behind, but nobody seemed to mind because it was, it was Jimmy, and then Jimmy went through the flight, you know, and he was shaking See, I was going to say, I know where this is going because he shakes everybody's head. Right. So, it, it, and all that was fine and good, but we were, you know, going to get ready to land and everything, and uh, the uh, tall, you know, drink of water, you yeah. know, um, the handsome, you know, secret service guy comes up and he goes, well, I'm going to tell you how this is going to go when we land. I go, oh, okay. And he goes, as soon as the airplane lands, we're going to get up 
and we're going to move toward the door and we're going to get all of you know mr mrs carter's president carter's stuff out and we're going to go and we're going to put it in front of this door and you know and and, and i'm like really i said you know what you're going to do when we land he's like what i said you're going to remain seated yeah, you're with your seatbelt <laughs> securely fastened until we have parked at the gate and the captain turns off the fastened seatbelt sign. And then, and only then, will yeah. you get out of your seat and, you know. Just like the PA. And, and move to the door. And, and he's like, well, you just look like a woman who just doesn't take no for an answer, do you? And I said, no. And I said, I will make all the appropriate announcements yeah. telling everyone to remain seated until you get all of Jimmy and Rosalind's things out. Yeah. And, and then, and only then, will they be able to get up. And he goes, okay, well, that works. So they did. So you, know, you told him. I told him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't tell me what's going to happen on my airplane. Because I mean, they, yeah. they, don't, they don't even think about what if yeah. you had some kind of a runway right. version. Yeah, yeah. And now you have my, my exit block. Right, right? yeah. And, um, but they got, they, they had two limos. One for Jimmy and one for uh -huh. Rosslyn. And they went down the um, jet bridge stairs, put everything in. and But the passengers were fascinated. They were all on that side of the airplane Looking, watching, yeah. taking pictures and everything, and not one person got up or tried to get off the airplane before they were supposed to. So, so probably the only time I really saw really well-behaved passengers. You know, but they love him. They do. They love him. So I've been flying Maui, and you know, normally I fly Europe, so getting in. Um, from Europe, you have to go up the escalators, walk a long way, go through custom and immigration, have your passport out, blah, 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 blah. But that's how, how, how I always get home from work, right? So now I'm flying Maui, which is, hello, part of the United States. <laughs> it is not international. You do not have to go to customs and immigration. But my first or second trip and... I exit the airplane after all the passengers get off. It's after the all-nighter. Uh, I didn't sleep on crew rest. I'm tired. And I go, oh, the escalator's broken. It's broken. And I go to lift my bags to go walk up the escalator. And the other flight attendant goes, um, hello? We just walk out the door into the airport this way. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> You're right. I'm a dingbat. called ad flight attendants because oh, yeah, we, yeah. we were the extra, on, yeah. we, the extra we called them ads and, and um, the union you know, newsletter called us JAFA, J-A-F-A, just another flight attendant. But Actually, so, that's cute, so just was, another flight attendant. Right, so, th so it was JAFA the ad. So this day I'm, I'm getting on this airplane, I'm going to St. Louis, one leg for me, and I'm, I'm JAFA the ad, and sometimes you don't, you just... JAFA the ad. JAFA the ad. That sounds like, like, a, like a cartoon character. It, it was like a cartoon in, in, in the Union news, Newsletter. It was always JAFA the ad, and they always had a, a new cartoon every month. Um, so, But that's what we called ourselves, yeah. too. And uh, so I'm getting on with this crew to go to St. Louis. They're going to continue on and go someplace else. Well, we're in Detroit, and the agent comes down and says... We're briefing, and she says, well, we have this little man who is really, really out there and everything, and I was just checking to see if you think it's okay if he, he comes on. And so I ask him, well, like, what, what, what's wrong with him? Well, he's just, he's seeing things. Oh, he's seeing things. Blah, blah, you know. Um, 
Uh, but he's just an old man, so, um, you know, so, just wondering. Well, so the captain says, he goes, oh, it was a little old man, how bad can it be, right? Okay. Right, so it's just a little old man. Right, so, um, he came down, and, and he's definitely not all there. And the captain says, yeah, it's fine, we'll take him. Well, so that's all fine and dandy. We're during the flight, and it just so happened I had gone back, we're done serving, and I went to use the bathroom, and when I came out of the bathroom in the back, I just saw all hell break loose. They opened up the door to give the pilots, you know, a drink or, or whatever, and this little old man <laughs> made a beeline for that cockpit, and he hit that door. Oh my gosh. That hard, and he went straight on in. Luckily, the lead flight attendant up front was, well, thank God it was a man, for one. Right. And two, he was an ex-cop. Oh, okay. So he was able to get the, you know, the guy, you know, the back, you know, and, and, and because the pilots can't do anything. They're, they're stuck in their seats. Yeah. And this crazy man's up in their cockpit now. And he was able to, you know, get him out of there. But the man, I mean, when you're, like, basically insane. Right. You have the strength of Joe, right? You right. Know, it's amazing that they had to really struggle with him and fight with him and, and, and um, you know, they had to get a couple of passengers to sit with them until we landed, and then when we landed in St. Louis, but it, it, I, I guess the, the, one of the points of my stories was when they, the agent came down yeah. to tell us about this, I said at the time, you know, she's coming down here because you know she, she knows she's passing a problem on to right. us, and maybe we should think about this, you know, maybe trust our instinct that if she, if she feels something's off bad enough... And why take going on in the to, air? To come down yeah. and, and tell it, uh, to us about it. Maybe we shouldn't do it. But, of course, I was jabbing the ad. Nobody listened to me. And uh, so when we got there, you know, there's, you know, federal, you know, local... Everybody there, you know, yeah. State, you know... For the little old man. For the little old man. <laughs> that jetway was so full of law enforcement. And... You know, and I got off the airplane because they, they, they had to deal with it. I was just Jeff yeah, and Then I grabbed my suitcase and off to my layover I went. And I went. Sort of unintentionally, I've been on a whale kick. A whale kick. <laughs> you know, because I went to see the beluga whales in Churchill, Canada in August. I swam with the whale sharks in Zanzibar in November. And now in Maui, it's whale season, so on my last trip, I got to go whale watching. I'm sorry, but how great is it to be able to go whale watching at work? <laughs> so here is a little audio from my fantabulous whale watching trip in Maui. Wow. <laughs> uh, these are all the males making those noises males do all the experience. Females and babies, they kind of do a little chirping to each other, but it's actually not uh, audible to the human ear. So all the noises and all these tunes you're hearing are all from the males. Wow. They do sing a song every single year, and that song changes. Researchers have done like a really cool study across the world of different areas that humpbacks go to, and they found that all the males sing the exact same song. Researchers haven't been able to figure out how they're able to sing the exact same song every single year, even wow. with it changing. 
A lot of us, like Hawaiians and natives, we say it's the song of the earth, which is a cool little yeah. spiritual yes. fact. The vibration of our earth. So they're kind of the translators. Of I us. love that. Yeah. They have the most complex language too out of all animals, so they could actually say the most amount of things. They actually don't have any vocal cords, they speak through a gap like the gas through the body. So you can hear the that's like them blowing bubbles, but they're able to make different tunes with those bubbles. Not more complex than ours, but the most complex in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Does that mean they're closer, or this they is look, all? They sound, like, they sound like they're a lot closer now. Oh, look at that scout out there! Wow. Yeah, they could communicate within a thousand miles of each other. Oh, wow. That's how the song gets over. Oh, is it? You must hear the song. It's a thousand miles. You must hear the song. Yeah. But they're doing it across continents and across like different parts of the world. They're singing the exact same thing. It's bizarre. I mean, they do have sonar, but that's crazy. So freaking wow. I picked up a trip that deadheaded to Europe and laid over and worked home. And that's a primo trip, right? That's great. And I got in first class. Woohoo! Like, life is good. But guess what? I mean, what are the chances? I've mentioned on previous podcasts that there's one guy who doesn't like me. One flight attendant. One guy. One guy. We have over 20,000 flight attendants. And guess who's working the aisle in first class on the flight that I am sitting as a passenger. <laughs> it's that guy. What are the chances? Thanks for the ride. I heard this story secondhand that they were in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. It's nice, you know, the water's nice there. And they had a new flight attendant and it's time to pick up. Everybody's in their uniform and she comes down in her bikini and they're like, why on earth are you in a bikini? It's time to go to work. And she goes, well, they told us in training that, that um, we could get like a couple sick calls a year. So I'm just going to use one of my sick calls now because I like it here. And they're like, it don't work that way, honey. <laughs> we'll have to cancel the flight. You scurry upstairs and put your uniform on. Stat. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Hey, kids, when you fly together, she'll tell you where she's been and tell you where she's going. You'll have some fun, so why not come along? Seatbelts are fast. That's cool.